This isn't the intro yet. Real quick, before it gets started, wanted to let you know that in this episode, I talk about an interview last week that we did, but actually, it'll be next week's episode. Anachrony! It's going to be a running joke for the rest of the podcast life. So next week's episode is going to be with Ryan from Cardboard Conjecture. I'm really excited for you to hear that one. We had a lot of fun, but the guest for this episode has some time-sensitive information in there, and you'll learn about it in just a few. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome to the Board Game Community Show, the podcast where we get to know people throughout the board game community. So self-explanatory. I'm your host, Riley Stock, and today we've got a really weird experience here. I'm tripping out because I am face-to-face with our guest today, who has biked all the way from Rhode Island just to be here, Phil Amelon. Yay! Welcome! Thank you, thank you. I'm glad to uh, to be your first face to face guest, I'm I know. excited about that. Me too. It's really weird. Like I could just reach out and not Wait, touch you a screen. Five, bam! <laughs> just happened. <laughs> We're both vaccinated. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People, come. It's okay. That was that was a prerequisite for me going on the trip. Like I wasn't going to go until I got vaccinated. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was a, that was a big deal to me. I was hiding. I was super hiding. Was a while. Rhode Island hard to get vaccinated or not? No. Okay. No, it was really great. Um, New England, I think in general, took everything really seriously and people got vaccinated when they were supposed to. Oh, for nice. the most part, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but right. Yeah. Uh, I remember I was so relieved when I got to make an appointment for my dad because uh, he's, oh. he's almost 70, smoked for his entire life. I spent most of the pandemic worrying about him. Uh, so yeah, I got to take him and then got myself taken care of like a month later once the age requirement Ooh. dropped down. Yeah, it was great. That's a good deal. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I here it was really easy. I found out that I was in like the high risk category because I had this disease as a kid that and like a, some research came out that like pe- kids who had that disease like get the COVID get COVID and they're like fine for a little while. And then all of a sudden, like afterwards they get something else like COVID makes them susceptible to something else that was like making a, putting a lot of strain on their body. It was like having more long-term effects than even COVID. So I was like, okay, like, uh, I went in to go see if I could do it. And it was the day that it opened up to my age range. So I was like, well, great. (laughs) I'm getting it now anyway. Yeah. But here it's like super easy to get it now there was like the first month it was packed and now it's you know we're, we haven't reached our numbers that we should be reaching but everyone's just refusing to go do it right because the government is obviously trying to mind control us oh god i don't <laughs> even know how to respond to that <laughs> i did i did joke about it um on on my blog i my way of announcing I got a vaccine was that I, I titled a post. I upgraded to five G. <laughs> I don't quite know how you know they fit little nano chips inside me. I don't know what they're doing with it. Obviously, it's controlling my brain. Yeah. Oh well. Does it make it so that other people <laughs> get better reception around you too? Because that would be great. I'm all for that. My reception has been a lot better. Although I did coincidentally get a new phone around the same time. Uh, so I mean. Who knows? <laughs> it was all a plot to get a phone. That's yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Ugh. Oh man, I, I'm glad. How's the biking been? We've 
all right, people, I'm going to be straight with you. <laughs> Bill and I have gotten to know each other pretty decently over the last two days because he's been here for two days. But it's true. So we did a playtesting night with Rob Kramer, who does the Grand Carnival and... And Tessa. And Tessa. And his wife, Tessa. Yeah. Yes. I was going to mention her. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. And then the next night, which was last night... We got together just to play games. Yeah, good times. Yeah. I won my first game of Wingspan ever. And absolutely killed it. <laughs> In fact, I had a dream last night, and I woke up, and I thought that I won. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I forgot to count these points. And I realized it was a dream, and I was like, oh, that's a weird, like, I feel that's like a horse work just for having that dream. <laughs> and that's why my dreams recently have been. Last night, I woke up in, like, a cold sweat, disoriented, because... As usual, I'm sleeping in a place I'm not familiar with over the last few months. That's been a constant thing. So I, I probably scared Rob and Tessa with whatever words were coming out of my mouth because uh, I thought I was falling into a pit somewhere. So there is also that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'll take the board game dream any day. <laughs> yeah. That is, that. yeah, that would be a, a fun noise to hear in the middle of the night coming from your guest in the other bedroom. Just freaking out. Where did you guys share bedrooms? Are you all three just in one bedroom? No, no, no. no. Oh, okay. They have like, a, like an office with a little twin-size bed in it. That's okay. where I'm crashing. <laughs> How, well. I guess what's been the... We haven't talked about this. What's been the staying situation for you? Like, do you do hotels? Do you just try and crash with people? Yeah, so mostly it's been hotels. I started off ambitiously thinking that I was going to camp. And I had camping stuff with me. And uh, I did that a few times. And it didn't work out so well. And I got sick of carrying the extra eight pounds of stuff up and down. I was in the Appalachians at the time that I got rid of it. Um, and so I don't do that anymore because that's gone now. I gave it all to... Uh, I was at a restaurant and I just asked the waitress, hey, I want to get rid of this stuff. I don't want to throw it out. Does anyone want it? And the hostess at the restaurant wanted it. And so that worked out really well. So I didn't have to, I didn't just jettison it. I gave it to cool. someone and hopefully it's gotten some use. So that's exciting. Um, but yeah, so um, for the like east of the Mississippi, half of my trip, I had major stops planned out where I was staying with people. So I've stayed with a lot of designers on the trip. And then kind of since then, it's been a lot of hotels. Yeah. Um, I've also done, there's a, a bicycling app or website, I guess you'd call it, a community called Warm Showers, which <laughs> is kind of like couch surfing for bicycle people. These are people that are really into cycle touring and uh, they open up their homes to other people that are on these sort of long bicycle tours, which is what we call these long trips. Wow. Uh, and they're like, yeah, you can crash with us. And I've only done that a couple times because it's, you know, it's a little nerve wracking to just go to a stranger's house and with nothing in common whatsoever outside of the biking thing. Yeah. So I've done it a couple times. And both times it's been rewarding and I've had a great time. So I should probably try and do that a little bit more for the rest of my trip. We'll see. Save a little bit of money. Yeah. And yeah. good company. I'm yeah. sure it gets lonely biking so many miles a day. That is very true. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think the loneliest stretches, um, like in northwestern Colorado into northeastern Utah is just like it had me down. It's just a, a an empty, barren wasteland and the smoke is still there and it, it just makes everything look eerie and like it's on a totally different planet. Yeah. Yeah. I feel feel very alone out there sometimes. <laughs> I yeah, I get that. This I don't know how it is everywhere else, but like a lot of the days through the haze here, the sun is red. Mm. Is that how it is out east? Like, just because the smoke is, like, 
so thick and it yeah. distorts it. Yeah. So my experience with the haze didn't really start until I was in Wisconsin. I was riding up the Mississippi and there were a few small towns and I, I noticed the haze start and then it went away for a few days. But then the day I left Minneapolis, it was uh, their worst air quality in Minnesota on record. And people were, it was so thick that people were disappearing into the sidewalk. Like I vividly remember seeing a woman pushing a stroller and she just like disappeared. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was, it was so crazy. Um, I took a few pictures, pictures don't just don't do it justice. And yeah, the sun was just all sorts of different colors. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. I remember at one point looking directly at the sun and being like, I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to be able to do this. Yeah. And yet here I am. Oh yeah. That's a bad habit. Yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing and I was like, I shouldn't be able to like, yeah, I should be blind. Right? right. That's what the, that's what they say when you're a kid. Exactly. <laughs> it was kind of nice though. When I was driving East or West driving West and sun was setting and it like didn't hurt my eyes because it was like, oh, the sun's right there, but it's not blinding me today. So that was like a little, semi-nice thing. Little wins. Yeah. yeah. That's what teeny, teeny, <laughs> tiny in, win. In the face of catastrophic damage to our environment, at least I could ride west for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We here in Salt Lake, when like a couple, a month or so ago, like we had one of, I think they said we had the worst air quality in the world. Ouch. Like, because the smoke just traps, mm-hmm. gets trapped in the valley. Yeah. And then we also have like major pollution problems and inversion, all sorts of wild stuff. That was when we were in Portland. So we were like, we're away from it. We were like, yeah. yeah. It wasn't planned. <laughs> that wasn't the reason to go. To go west. Oh, yeah. Towards the fire. <laughs> you were doing something different. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely feel like I'm riding through the future dystopia, which is now. Uh, there were a few days where I was riding in an N95 mask because the air quality was so bad that they suggested that anyone who had to be outside for, like, work or whatever should be wearing these things. Whoa. Yeah. That, nice. was, that was around the time that I made the decision to, to not go on my northern route. And I headed south just to escape the smoke. And there was a period of time in Nebraska where the skies were clear. Oh, good. And that, that changed when I got back to Denver, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So how many times have you made this trek? I know this is a different route, but oh, how many times have you biked across the U.S.? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what am I at? Like uh, four-fifths of the way through or something? So uh, 80%, yeah. 80% of one time I have done this thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. People talk to me as if I'm some kind of seasoned bicyclist or, or something like that. And I am not, I let's see the last time before the pandemic, the last time I had ridden a bicycle was in 2010. I worked on the 2010 census and rather than but one of the things you have to do on the census is chase people down who don't fill out their forms. So I was one of those people. And uh, rather than do that on my car, I was just like, I might as well ride a bike. It'll be more fun that way. <laughs> So I did that, and then I didn't ride one for a decade. And then during the pandemic, I think a lot of us wanted some kind of outdoor hobby. And I could think of no better way to ensure that people socially distanced from me than being the sweaty, gross guy on the bicycle. And so I got a bike. There was a bike shortage, so I had to get one on Craigslist, so I bought one. And it was it was great. It got me around. I rode around Little Roadie, as we call it, um, all last summer and into the fall and developed a, I guess I 
I hate to say caught the bug in these times because that's not how we should do that. But I developed a passion for riding around, and uh, yeah. And then because all the playtesting had moved on to Discord, all of a sudden I was playtesting with all these people from all across the United States, and that's when it clicked that I could sort of combine both of these things because I'd sort of kicked around the idea of traveling across the country in some sort of weird way for most of my life. Like I've done the road trip, like I, I did a road trip across the South one time, but, uh, nice. but yeah, I wanted to do something weird like this. And that's how they came together. I, I realized that there were these stops along the way that I could make. And then that all of a sudden the trip had a purpose. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to do it then. Yeah. That is really, really cool. Thanks. Bravo for like, just going for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your job. What do you do? We're le- we're going to dive out of board games. Oh, here. yeah. We'll do some Already. other stuff. Uh, yeah. So I, professionally, I guess I consider myself to be a burnt out high school teacher. I used to teach high school English for about six years. I did some variation of middle or high school English. I coached track and tennis. But yeah, at, at this point, teachers need to be paid twice as much and teach half the number of classes. And that's the point where I will sort of reevaluate whether or not I would go back. It's just, it's not enough. You know, people are like, oh, you get summers off, and that's hilarious. I can think of no other time in my life where I thought more about school and how I was going to, you know, improve the lives of my students for next year than during the summer when I actually had time to think about that sort of thing. Uh, teaching is a 24-7 job, at least, oh, yeah. at least for me. And I love the kids, and I miss them a lot, but I do not miss the incredibly ridiculous amount of paperwork or administration or in some cases, like school committees that are made up of ridiculously reactionary rules. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally get that. Yeah. Uh, Kimmy, my wife is a teacher. And so we like averaged out her average week, like how many hours she's actually working. You never do that. I know. So bad. <laughs> and so then we like added it up uh, for like how many days she works throughout the year. And it was. Far, far, far more hours than somebody with a full-time job taking no vacations. If you worked 40 hours a week, every week of the year, you, like, still work less hours than a teacher does in their nine-ish, nine, ten months, whatever it is. I don't know how long it is. Well, yeah, the school year is, like, nine and a half-ish months. Yeah. Yeah, that tracks. Um, But, yeah, it's, it's funny you talk about people taking vacations and they like to talk about the school vacations you get. Yeah. school vacation weeks were the weeks that I got to work only 40 hours. I got to, I got to catch up on my grading. I got to catch up on my planning. Um, I got to do professional development. Yeah. All that stuff that happens during school vacation. Yeah. When I think exhaustion too, sometimes like when you hit those three day weekends or even just regular weekends, sometimes you're just so exhausted from all those hours you already mm-hmm. put in. You're, you're burnt. Yep. Like Kimmy right now is just like, I'm so tired. I do not want to do much. So yeah, it's, it's a constant state of burnout. So I left teaching in late 2019. I got out just in time, uh, especially I, I still keep in touch with a lot of my old teacher friends and it has been a nightmare dealing with parents and students and not great guidance from governments. Uh, I was also a reference librarian for a while, like three years. What's a, what's that? So uh, working in a library, there are different departments you can be in. One of them is the reference desk. And the reference desk is generally where patrons come to ask for help. Oh, okay. So if you're looking for a specific book, um, 
you would come and talk to us. That makes sense. Yeah. I usually just avoid people, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Solid play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did that for a while, and that was kind of like, that's what I was doing when the pandemic actually hit. And of course, the library closed during that time. 2020 was kind of, a, I sort of punted on the entire year. I was planning on taking the entire 2020 off and going to conventions and networking with people and pitching games. And obviously that did not happen. <laughs> you fool. I am indeed a giant fool. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, that's really cool. And a couple of conventions are starting back up, though hesitant about some of them. I went to a convention, which was fun, a couple, like a month and a half ago. Cool. If you, are you still planning on trying to get to the one in, is it in Portland, Seattle? So PAX West is happening right now. Like oh, it started it? yesterday. Yeah, I'm not making it for that. Okay. I probably still have a couple of weeks before I can dive into the Pacific Ocean or however I choose to do that back, like just fall backwards. I don't know what I'm going to do. I probably might just run straight at it. Who yeah. knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's going to be a while before I get out there still. This is a very side thing. And I just realized, like, how are you getting back? Are you just going to plane back? Uh, so... I'm kind of scared to fly. That's not my thing. I like ground travel. <laughs> so I will probably do uh, some combination of like car slash train to get back to the East Coast. Uh, I'm going to stay on the West Coast for a while. I have some relatives out there. My brother lives in LA and uh, I have an uncle who lives. Uh, I have two uncles that live just outside of San Francisco and a couple different places sort of around there. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have good, I have good friends in Seattle and some board game design people in San Francisco that I think I'll hang out with for a bit. So I don't know when exactly I'm going to head back east. I know I want to be back east in time for PAX Unplugged and then the holidays. Nice. Yeah. PAX West, is, do they do board games too? Yeah. Is that only board? If PAX West is like video games PAX West too, is, right? I think it's, yeah, it's like mostly video games, but they definitely have board games. Okay. Because yeah. that's why it wasn't clicking to me. I was like... I always get excited for PAX West for the video games. Literally no idea there were board games involved. Oh, yeah. There's definitely some of that there. I knew PAX Unplugged was. I don't know how much there are this year because of you know pandemic. I don't think there's like protospiel stuff going on or whatever their unplugged section would be called there. Yeah. Um, but they definitely have stuff. And, I mean, the design community in Seattle is amazing. Yeah. I, yeah. Next year, I think we'll go to Seattle and try and hang out with some either designers or just gamers who cares there's so many they have like a huge game community yeah right? it's all good yeah so do you think you'll make it up there are you gonna bike up there or do you no. think at that point you're like i made it to the west coast i'm driving yeah once i once i touch that ocean i i'm open to other modes of transportation okay the the goal is the cross country on the bike i've cheated a couple times in dangerous situations I, i've allowed someone to give me a ride uh, what a wimp I know, just right? Get, <laughs> just get hit by lightning. Come on. <laughs> Shake it off. That was so scary. Yeah. Do you want to share that? Yeah, yeah. For people yeah. that are not familiar. So one of my scary situations, apparently, I didn't know this. Um, and I guess you wouldn't know this if you're not someone who lives in a mountainous area. But uh, over a certain threshold, uh, like 5,000 feet, it becomes very difficult to predict the weather. So... Basically, on any day where it's predicted to just be sunshine and rainbows all day, uh, sometime after noon, it could just decide, you know what, it was warm and that caused some changes in the air. We're going to have like a spontaneous thunderstorm. Uh, so I was warned by uh, quite a few locals in Denver, hey, 
make sure you're down off the mountain by noon. And of course, I planned my entire days around this for a while. Uh, and I got stuck on top of a mountain at about 9,000 feet at 11.30 a.m. This was before I was told it was going to be dangerous. And out of nowhere, this thunderstorm just appeared. And uh, there was a lightning bolt about a football field away from me that scared the bejesus out of me. And, and I, I pulled over and stopped and, and just like sort of frantically waved my arms at the cars coming by. And thankfully, this very nice girl named Sophia, who is a college student slash mountain biking coach, who had a bike rack on her car was like, yeah, you can, you can hitch a ride down the mountain with me. And so that's, that's what happened. And she was my hero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so awesome. I thought you gave her a board game. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the quirky things that I did on this trip before I realized how heavy things were going to be and, and how <laughs> little space I was actually going to have on my bike. Um, Tim Blank is the president of the Boston Game Makers Guild. He also, uh, teaches game design at a university and he has a few published games uh one of them is called oh my gods and it's a pretty small uh card game that's kind of like a modern take on clue that i think is cool uh and i was like and he had several of these and he was like do you want to take some across the country with you and give them to people uh actually think i think i sort of proposed the idea foolishly and, uh, <laughs> and so uh he gave me he gave me six copies, and I ended up only taking four because I, I really couldn't fit any, but I made it work. And I've been giving copies of his game to people as I've progressed. No, oh my and, goodness. And Sophia was the last one. As we were riding down the mountain, uh, she talked about how she likes board games, and she really needed to sort of start a collection. And I was like, well, I have the perfect thing to give to you. <laughs> So that was, it was liberating to give away the last one. So I didn't have to carry it anymore. <laughs> but it was also, it was really nice to be able to sort of like pay someone in some way for saving me from at the very least having a massive panic attack on the top of a mountain in the middle of a thunderstorm. Oh, that was just, that's not what I want to do. Like that can be stressful in a car. Yeah. <laughs> You're not even getting wet. You're just driving in it. Oh man, I can't even imagine. Well, thanks, Sophie, for saving Phil. Big time. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned the Boston Game Makers oh, Guild. Game Makers yeah. Guild. Yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah. GMG. Yeah. So uh, how did you get involved in that? Meetup.com. Yeah. Oh. Are you familiar with Meetup.com? No. Oh, my. Uh, so Meetup.com is fantastic. Um, you can, it's, I don't want to call it a social network exactly. Basically, it's a website you can go to. You can type in what interests you are. And then it will tell you what groups meet around those interests in whatever radius that you're looking for. Whoa. I went on there. I originally went on there because a high school friend uh, was running like a tennis meetup on there. And so that's how I got involved in the website. And then I put in some other interests and I found a board game design group. And I just started going to the meetings. Um, meetings, at least when, when in-person was a thing. Uh, so this was probably, I started going like five or six years ago. Uh, are held at Emerson College in Boston. Uh, so they're very official and professional. Uh, yeah, and I just started going to that, and uh, it took me probably a few years to, I think, learn the ropes and not be nervous and bring my own stuff. Okay. Like, I went for a long time and just tested other people's games before I was comfortable bringing my own games. Um, but yeah, now, I mean, a lot of those people are good friends of mine and I, that's one of the things I love about the board game community is that, you know, we all sort of share this passion and from that, I think really interesting and great connections develop. Yeah. So, so yeah. 
we all want to play games with people that we like, you yes. know, like, and, and I, I say it every episode almost like, yeah, that's, this is what it's about. You know, like getting to know people that you could play games with or like, yeah. or who will make a game that you want to play. And, and you know that that's coming from a cool person and, and get to know people behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your games. You have sure. one. I have one published game. Right. Um, let's see. That was a co-design with, um, a friend of mine from Providence, James Searles, who uh, who owned a card shop at the time. So uh, I was always there playing Magic, or we actually played a lot of dead CCGs there. So we played a ton of the old Lord of the Rings Decipher game and Star Wars and stuff like that. Uh, and then we we actually worked together on a different design for a while um, that was like probably too big. And so we, we started doing something smaller. So we came up with this thing called Crown of Aragon, which is a... Two player sort of tug of war card game set in medieval Spain. So he he already owned like a video game publishing company. So he just decided to print 300 copies of Crown of Aragon and we brought them to the very first PAX Unplugged. It was such a thrill to be demoing my own game and selling my own game on the convention floor. Uh, we sold like 250 copies, which sounds impressive, but it was only like a $10 buy. It was a pretty easy thing to just be like, okay, sure, I'll take this with me. Um, but it was still great. It was still like just a ton of fun. Yeah. And then we tried to do a Kickstarter, which didn't work because we had just sold it to everyone who was interested in it. But oh, well, <laughs> uh, but it was definitely a fantastic learning experience. And I had a ton of fun with it. And uh, it's it's so funny, though, because I don't know if I remember how to play the game because it was like five years ago that I worked on it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it would come back to me. But uh, but it's funny how that happens, because, you know, since that time, I've definitely designed a ton of other games, none of which that have quite made it yet, but a few that I think are, are pitch ready. And, uh, and and I think we all have kind of, as designers, our box of prototypes that's like, yeah, maybe I'll get to those, or maybe they're just awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm building mine up. <laughs> yeah, good time. Yeah. Do you want to talk about some of the ones you have in, that you're working on? Are yeah. any close uh, i mean close in the sense that i feel comfortable pitching them mm-hmm. you know i think that's where i am as a designer i you know i know a lot there are a lot of different design paths some people want to self-publish and go to kickstarter and uh some people want to pitch and that's me i would much rather do the design work bring it to publishing house where they have resources and expertise to sort of you know make it a product you know as much as i do think about games as products um, but yes, I don't, what I know I don't want to do, at least with my own designs is be kind of in the weeds and dealing with shipping and a whole bunch of things. I don't, I don't get. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the designs that I feel like are pitch ready are, um, I guess my favorite is a cooperative game called, am I the one? It is, uh, it's a pretty light game. Everyone at the table gets a picture and they're all the same, except for one person's picture is different. And using limited communication, you have to figure out if you're the person that has been dealt a different image. And it's sort of like a self-discovery kind of metaphor, almost. Because you only have like 30 seconds to figure this out. And, you know, once somebody flips their picture, they've made the decision for the entire group. If they're right, then awesome, the group has succeeded, and you pass and move on. If they're wrong, the group has failed. <laughs> If you fail a certain amount of times, you lose the game. Yeah. Um, 
And that one's really fun and tense, and it has uh, it has some really cool moments in between rounds where there's like this explosion of talking, like "Why didn't you flip?" or uh, "I couldn't believe I was the one because I thought that you and you matched up with me." Uh, so that's been really fun. I like that game a lot. Uh, that's cool. That's like the mind. I that got me thinking of the mind. Have you yeah, that one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I I did sort of pitch this as a cross between Dixit and the Mind. Sort oh, okay, of. yeah. Um, and then let's see, what else do I have? I have an 18 card game that I co-designed with a student. I was mentoring a high school student. Um, and one of the things that I think is fun to do game design wise is, uh, I forget where I read this. It might've been in Jesse Shell's book, the art of game design, but kind of like the first day of class, you're like, okay, take tic-tac-toe and change one thing about it. And what would that look like? Uh, and so we riffed back and forth for a little bit and we decided that it would be really fun if tic-tac-toe was an 18 card game. And you simultaneously revealed where you wanted to place your mark. Uh, and so the way this one works is if it's your turn and your opponent figures out where you're going, they actually steal that spot from you. So there's a whole lot of Yomi in this game. Oh. Yeah. The first couple of turns are usually pretty tame. But after that, it gets like like a you can see in the playtest the light sort of clicking in people's brains. And then like it becomes just very much like the, uh, the Sicilian game in... Um, Princess Bride. Oh, so yeah. Call that, yeah. You know, the, the oh, switch I know. The drink. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like <laughs> yeah. that. I know that you think that I think that I know that you yep. think, you know, that I'm going to go here, which means I'm not going to go there. Or, I think. <laughs> that's <cool>. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and so that's really fun. I, I like that. That's actually the one game that I brought with me because uh, it's so late. It's only 18 cards. I can fit it on the bike just fine. Why don't we play that? I don't know. I lifted it at Robin and Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. <laughs> well, you played Rob's. We played Critter Grove, which That's true was great. Yeah, we played mine, yes. which was a brand new implementation of an. It was the first draft. Yeah, it was the first draft, and that was great. I got yeah. some awesome feedback for sure. Uh, have you gotten to play test very many games throughout this journey? Yeah, yeah, I've play tested a lot of stuff. It's been really fun. Um, I spent five days in Brooklyn with uh, David Gordon, and uh, I got to go to Gil Hovis group, um, and we purchased just a ton of things. Um, cool. And, yeah, it, really at every sort of major stop. So in Trenton, New Jersey, I play tested some games with Doug, uh, who designed Kids on Bikes. Oh, yeah, okay, uh, cool. He was working on a really cool cooperative garden-building game, which is funny, because I, I generally don't like cooperative games, and I think... It was around the time that I met Doug and played his game that my heart sort of like, like the ice around my heart melted in terms of cooperative games because uh, his game was really interesting because of the, again, the limited communication aspects. I I found that I really enjoy uh, cooperative games with limited communication. So Mm -hmm. like Hanabi in the mind is like published examples of how that works. I love that stuff. So for the crew, we talked about, you and I talked about that. Uh, That's just me not really being as good at or or enjoying trick-taking games. That's fair. Outside of Hearts. My family used to play a lot of Hearts growing up. Mm. But I like that because it's very much like, a, I'm going to stick you with something. <laughs> That's very much, the take that element of Hearts is, is where it yeah. shines. I was going to say, because I didn't know if you liked co-op very much. I thought you said you weren't big into it. And then you talked about you designed me co-op. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> so that came from a place of me wanting to design a co-op game that I would enjoy. Ah, uh, that's just like mine where I'm like, I've never played a pickup and deliver game, but people say they suck. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to try and make one I would play. <laughs> uh, oh, those people. 
Yeah, I, I am one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was fun to oh, yeah. get it out there. Absolutely. Well, I think that's one of the fun things to do with design is to take something and try to make it something different yeah. in a way that it would resonate with you. And so I think that's kind of how I approach design a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of trial and error. Oh, yeah. Like, I was having success with my first iteration. And then I thought, okay, well, now I want to completely mess that up. <laughs> Let me try something new and, and make it more interesting to me. Because I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this is working at its foundation. And, like, I could, that was probably good enough to, people were telling me it was ready to pitch. Uh, Listen to those people. I know, but then I was like, but I think it's a little bit boring in some aspects, and I want to try and make it more entertaining. So, we'll see. Fair. Anyways, this isn't about me. This is about it's you. It's about us. It's about our connection in the community. This is a community show, right? True, that's, yeah. That's, that's then true. It's, all, it's all fair game as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. This is why I took the trip. This yeah. is exactly why, so that I could sort of sit down face-to-face with people and and get to know them. And get to experience our connectedness in the board game community. I love that. That's why I'm here. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) Tender. Uh, Right on. Yeah. Well, let's dive back to what I would normally cover in the beginning, but because we're face-to-face, I'm all like... Oh, we're all over the place. We do what we want. Yeah, and we've been like buddy-buddy for the last couple days. So, uh, what got you into board gaming in the first place? Do you want me to go all the way back to birth? I think. Let's see. <laughs> Came out of the uh, womb with a deck of cards. Yeah. So my the first gaming experience I really remember. Uh, so I grew up when I was five. We, uh, my parents and sister and I moved in with my grandparents on my dad's side. Uh, so my grandfather was very much a part of my life all growing up. We lived there for the whole time. Uh, so one of my very first gaming memories is playing memory on the floor in the living room with my grandfather. And we would do this all the time. Uh, so, and that was just, oh, I was like his way of spending time with me is we would play games. Uh, sometimes we'd watch TV and stuff, but, but it was mostly, it was mostly about games. Um, so we would do that. And then my dad and my grandfather, a few years later, I guess when I was eight or something, they taught me how to play chess. And the way they did that was every time I lost chess, uh, they would start the next game with one fewer piece. So the next game they would like start without their queen, and then they would start without their queen and their rook. And I think the worst I ever got down to was they started without their queen, their rook, and like a bishop. And and then I would win, and they'd be like, okay, this is the level you're at. If you win a few times at this, we'll add some pieces back to the board. And so that was really fun. And so we played a ton of chess. Uh, growing up, and we like studied chess openings and read chess books together. Whoa, and cool stuff like that. Yeah, I used to be. I used to be good at that. I'm not anymore. I'm. I'm very bad at chess now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then um, in like middle school, when I had no friends to speak of, and like kids were pushing me into lockers and like all this horrible stuff. What always was like that glimmer of light at the end of the day was I would come home and grandfather would be there and he would play hero quest with me he was my zargon which for people who haven't played hero quest it's like a an old D type board game where one person is like the game master and the other person gets to play the hero so i would play the heroes and he would play the game master it was my thing so uh for how i got into board games as a child it was like that family connection yeah yeah so i 
I definitely carry that with me in my heart wherever I go and play board games. And then, like, with my friendships, we played a ton of magic. Um, I credit magic with basically birthing an entire generation of designers because half the game of magic is designing the experience that you want to have. And I always had more fun doing that part. <laughs> like I had fun playing the games, but I had so much fun designing the decks. Um, Cause I, I mean, what kind of experience do you want? Do you want a weird wacky thing? That's what I did. I put together just the most ridiculous decks and I was like, I'm probably not going to win, but in a big group game, sometimes my thing's going to happen and it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I did the D&D thing. I was the dungeon master for the most part of the group I was in. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that was fun. I really enjoy, uh, I enjoy, I haven't played art, like role-playing games in a long time, but at the time, that was a really great creative outlet. Yeah. yeah. And then what got me into real, quote-unquote, real board games, like the, the actual... Real is the wrong word, but the the sort of tabletop board game experience that has an actual board uh, was Betrayal. Uh, was it called Betrayal in the House on the Hill? Betrayal at House on the Hill. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I played Risk and Axis and Allies and stuff, but that was the first board game that made me go, "Wow!" I think I was I was in college at the time. It's just like, I can't believe board games can do this. And then from there, I was hooked, like big time understandable yeah that's a great game it is a great game i think i've i've played it so much that i'm kind of sick of it okay that's fair but i mean i've played hundreds of times so it's a great I, game i actually borrowed it yesterday when you guys were going to come over because i was like well maybe i can get this played and i was like i'm not going to push it but like if somebody sees it there and wants <laughs> to play it then great <laughs> but because i've only gotten to play it once oh really yeah you got your experience it's so good i know it's a phenomenal game well, I'm pretty committed to buying the, the Legacy one. Yeah. Because Rob Davio, the mm-hmm. designer, he said that that's like his only game that he actually plays. Ooh. Okay. Of his, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's like, that's high praise. Yeah. You usually hate your own stuff. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> and he said it's because like he can play it with his, his kids and build the game. Mm-hmm. And then when they're done with, you know, the 12 games or whatever it is then it's this copy that they've created together. And then you can replay it after. So it's not like Pandemic Legacy where you check it when you're done. Or I use it for uh, spare parts for prototyping. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have a few games I do that with. I won't say what they are because I respect the design. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, hey, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pandemic Legacy is great. <laughs> Such an amazing game. I absolutely love it. But the pieces are great afterwards for uh, for prototyping. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's not a game you can go back and play again, is it? No. Yeah, you can. Not. You might as well get some use out. Exactly. Of course. You go back and you just replay the last game, I think, is the, is the replayability. And to me, that's just like, well, the fun part of this was the story. Like, I might as well just go play regular Pandemic. Yeah, yeah. I digress. <laughs> that's really, really cool, though. So what's your... Do you have an absolute favorite... Favorite board game? Yeah. Oh, Dominant Species is my favorite. I've never far. even heard of this. Oh, uh, Dominant Species is, it's a mess. It's, uh, and I mean that in all the best ways. Like, people argue over whether it's a Euro or a, a Ameritrash game or Marathrash or whatever you're, however you want to say that word. I like Ameritrash games, so I don't mind using that term. I do too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know some people don't, and I, I get it. Um, it's insulting. Um, I like games like that, heavily thematic games. Uh, but it's it's about you play an animal 
or like a species of animals. I forget exactly what the terms are, but like I might be the mammals and you would be the reptiles. Hmm. And we are competing for dominance over the planet before the ice age is. That part is very brutal and harsh, and that's what I love about the game. And then there's also like a lot of the game is played in like this worker placement thing where you place all of your workers and then they are all resolved in a sequence after everyone has placed every single worker down. And I just I just love it. It's so good. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds cool. Yeah, that sounds interesting to me. Yeah, it's really good. It's one of those bigger sort of epic games that takes it's like the main event of the night. It's gonna take, you know, two or three hours. Maybe four, depending. Yeah. Uh, but that's my favorite of all time. Uh, I would say others sort of in that category. I love Terraforming Mars. I love Star Wars Rebellion. I love uh, I like Struggle. That's kind of my wheelhouse is those games. Uh, but I also, especially to play with like my siblings and dad, would be things like Avalon or Deception Murder in Hong Kong or like Coup, stuff like that. Yeah. Really enjoy those games too. Nice. Yeah. Those are quicker ones. Yeah. Coup is, at least. Coup's quick. Yeah. And Avalon is, we're talking like 20 minutes to a half hour. Yeah. Games that are very easy to teach. Like, these are games I, I would bring to my classroom. Oh, nice. We did, uh, we did like a dystopian day, because um, we had just like dystopian literature for our summer reading, and our way to sort of tie this in was we did like, a whole workshop day. Um, and my sort of section of the workshop was running uh, various board games. So I ran a couple different versions of Coup. There's like regular Coup and then Coup Rebellion. And then we did uh, The Resistance or Avalon as a way to sort of springboard into discussions about trust and, uh, you know, what what could it be like in a future where you're, you you can't believe what people are saying and, and how information is being manipulated. And, of course, all that ties into reality. So those were fun. Yeah, Absolutely. that's really cool. Yeah. Kids got, kids got a kick out of that. Yeah. Definitely. Do you think you inspired some, or you made some new board gamers? I hope so. Nice. Yeah, yeah, we definitely, I also did like a couple of board game design workshop type things at school as like an alternative activity for certain things. Um, the school I taught at still did like a powder puff game. Um, so there were... A what? Yeah, so this might not even be a thing that exists in some parts of the country because I find it like kind of ridiculous. Um, it's a day where... Like the girl students specifically uh, participate in like a football event because of course we couldn't have just girls play football normally. Like, yeah, like God forbid <laughs> we just do that. <laughs> uh, Boys and girls mixing together. Yeah, it's all out of that. Cats um, and dogs. Come on. Yeah. So I think I think this is sort of a, a classic Americana type event that happens at certain high schools in huh. in rural America. So anyway. For the students that didn't want to do that, uh, some of the teachers on that day would do alternative workshop type things. And so one of the things I would do would be a board game design workshop. And I, I 15, 20 kids come in, design some games that I thought were going to be really cool. That is and awesome. So hopefully that inspired some people to, to pick up the prototyping materials of their choice or whatever. Yeah. 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 Good times for sure. I've talked to, to you and then an episode that's not out yet, but it'll come out this week. So last week's guest, Ryan, talked about how he has like a board game club at his school that he started. Nice. And I'm just like, that's so cool. Like, I didn't have anything like that in high school. Although I wasn't really into board games much in high school. So I I mean, my high school was pretty small. I graduated in a class of 93. And we had, so we had a chess club. And I hopped from chess club to 
um, we convinced one of our English teachers to proctor our um, RPG club. Oh. So when I was a sophomore, we did RPGs. And then for the next two years after that, we basically had like a magic gathering club. Oh, cool. We had enough people. We had like 20 or 30 people. So, wow. Yeah. I was lucky. Yeah. Like we didn't have, I, or maybe I just didn't know anything about it. Maybe it wasn't cool enough to join those clubs or anything. I don't think there was any cool threshold for the <laughs> RPG club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was actually my my first experience in was in high school hanging out with a friend and he was like, "Hey, I really I really like D anD D. Do you want to like just play?" And so we like made a character, and I had no, like I'd never even heard of it up to that point. Yeah. Like all the way into high school, I never heard of of D anD D, which seems weird, but I really liked it. Like we just did a little one thing, and I was like, "Whoa, I want to run on the wall and then jump off and stab this guy," you know? Just yeah. Because at the time, I was like, I can do anything that's ridiculous. Okay, like, roll it. And it's like, success. Okay, cool. Like, <laughs> it was a good first impression of it. But but then I didn't know anybody else who played it after. So it's like, that was it for several years. I know. Yeah, my, my introduction to role-playing games. Uh, I played one session of D&D with some friends. And then we immediately decided that we were going to, instead of playing D&D, play the West End Games edition of Star Wars. And that, to me, is still my favorite RPG. We played that for a very long time. I loved it. Uh, I think it's it's quick and easy. And it's a great game. I love it. That's cool. <laughs> I think I remember that one. Maybe it was all D six, the whole thing. We, I just and so before I even had like your sort of standard set of nerd dice, I just had a ton of D six. I remember raiding. <laughs> We had like a game closet, of course, at, in my house. Um, I was like raiding Monopoly and Yahtzee for as many D6s as I could get. Funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Did you have a go-to character? Oh, in the Star Wars game? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we played the same campaign for a while. So, of course, I was a Jedi. Um, or like a, I think they called, the template was like Young Jedi. So you were essentially like Luke. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. His name was Mordred Craven. Which I only realized later was like a bad combination of because I mean Mordred is an evil character from Arthurian legend and Craven means cowardly and I didn't know that at the time I was like these <laughs> words sound cool together let's do that it sounded cool to me I was yeah. like yeah yeah <laughs> I didn't think about them. yeah so I definitely uh, I enjoyed that that was a good time that is funny well you started a group on Discord that's dedicated to playing really heavyweight games yeah you want to uh, talk about that yeah I I love that group I wish that. The only reason I'm not still in that group actively is because I'm riding my bike across the country, visiting all these cool game design people. Uh, but yeah, so around, it was like November of last year, um, I started to notice that there was not really a space for the heavier games or really the longer games that were being playtested in sort of the various Discord communities. Um, and there was a space on the Seattle uh, game design server that was kind of dedicated to heavy games, but it was pretty inactive. And, um, but what was great about it was there were already some people there talking about, Hey, maybe we should start a group specifically for this. So that was Ashwin Kamek and um, Bryn Smith were sort of talking about, Hey, we should start a group. So I reached out to them because I had already made a discord and I was like ready to invite people. I was like, let's just do this. And uh, they talked to me off the ledge very wisely. They were like, okay, this sounds great. We're excited that you're excited, but we need, 
uh, like a plan in place of how that's going to work. Uh, so we had kind of regular meetings with the three of us over the course of the next month and a half or so, uh, making sure we had a code of conduct in, in place, making sure we had systems in place for how games were going to get tested and whose turn it was going to be. You know, because it, you know, it's one thing to show up with your 30-minute card game and maybe it doesn't get tested that week. But it's pretty rough if you show up with your, you know, your once a month chance to play your giant epic 4X game and there's, there's just no system to tell you when you're going to get tested. Uh, we spent a lot of time designing around that and um, figuring out, you know, how we were going to kind of spread the word and what the requirements were going to be for actually, like, what was the floor going to be? So we ultimately decided, okay, if your game takes 90 minutes or longer to play, then this is the place for you. We didn't really have any requirements outside of that other than we did ask that you not just kind of bring like this is the first time this has ever been played because we were asking people to block off a significant amount of time you didn't want to break it too early be right like 10 minutes in okay well i know what i need now right um and yeah and that group uh has done really well because there wasn't a space for that and so we kind of just found a like a, a niche to uh yeah for people to play their their longer games um and this isn't to say that, like I, I've said this before, I, I don't necessarily think that you need to play your game to completion every time you play test it. I actually think that's like a bad habit to get into. Yeah. Um, but there are times where you just you just need more time. And so that was kind of the idea behind this group. That's really cool. And that was actually my very first introduction to you, kind of. And I, it's, right. I didn't really realize it, but I joined it. And kept thinking, like, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to get into this because I want to play these heavy games, but I could never block off enough time for it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, originally, as you should be. (laughs) Originally, the format was you had to kind of block off a day of seven hours to play test. You'd you'd be put into a group and you'd play test two games. They have since changed that um, so that you really only have to sign up for one game. So, the time commitment is. Is a bit less now, which I think works for a lot more people and is more flexible. Yeah. Yeah. Tough to hit it back up. Yeah, definitely. Um, and sort of the other thing that's fun about it is we we made it like thematically entertaining. So the whole heavyweight championship playtesting, the name is also like a kind of a professional wrestling shtick. So we pass out server roles that are our belts. If uh, you know if someone has contributed a lot to the server, then they are the heavyweight championship like belt holder they are the champion of the server and they get recognized in that way and it's just a fun way to sort of recognize that people in the community are awesome and they're all willing to help people and i love that about this community yeah i i really enjoyed that when i was there i'm not a big wrestler but i've liked seeing like (laughs) i think you would highlight the like on sunday or something once a week you'd highlight the the belt yeah the champion yeah it's just like a little pat on the back um to say hey thanks for being here and doing cool stuff yeah from there, you're on Mike Tanner's podcast. That's barely a game. Yes. And we're in that server as well together. Yes, we are. But we didn't really interact all that much. <laughs> no, no. So I think I, I think really how I found out who you were was because Mike had mentioned that you were on his podcast and then he was on your podcast. And so I listened to both of those. I was yeah. like, oh, this is cool. And that's how I discovered your podcast. So it's fun. That's part of the interconnectedness of of what we all do. I was on Mike's podcast, and therefore I heard about you and your podcast and started listening to it. Yeah. And and discovered that what you do is really cool. Well, thank you. And so (laughs) 
And so I like set a bunch of fires in the Northwest so that I would purposely have to come to Salt Lake City. That's how this went. <laughs> it was I did it without even being there. I'm a genius. <laughs> Telekinesis or pyrokinesis. Pyrokinesis. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Well, I'm glad you made it. It's totally <laughs> worth too. all the smoke. Ah, man. You know how to make an entrance. I guess so. <laughs> uh, Most of my entrances are very sweaty. <laughs> out of breath and like please can i have water in a shower that's usually how that goes down i could see that i could yeah. see you arriving at rob's just like yeah that was, i was like I, i'm pretty sure the first thing i asked for was a shower and then can i do laundry because i hadn't done laundry in literally hundreds of miles and i'm a gross gross man <laughs> uh, yeah well i mean so one of the things about riding your bike across the country is you travel light i only have I have a set of riding clothes and I have two sets of clothes that I just like wear. And that's the whole thing. Wow. Yeah. That is wild. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. This is freshly laundered. So I hope that I don't smell it. You look clean. <laughs> look at me. You yeah. look clean. Probably for the first time in like a month, I probably look clean. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't smell you in the car. I don't it's smell you news. now. It's awesome. So <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> and you, I mean, you know, it's bad when you smell yourself. Oh, oh this is the yeah yeah that yeah. is the worst i'm actually really curious we're gonna jump back to the bike yeah, wait no 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 let's we're, we're go all over the place yeah we're, we're gonna go there. all over the place we're, who cares i assume your listeners don't care about any cohesive thought i think so <laughs> well i did get a two-star review so oh, that was probably it that's probably two it. stars couldn't follow yeah crazy people <laughs> Doesn't wash his clothes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, how do you handle food? Well, like all of that, like, I just can't even imagine. Uh, I mean, I went all out with the best intentions, and it's funny. I I remember before I went on this trip, I watched a lot of videos and did a lot of reading for people that have done this before, and they always circled back to the same thing, which is it's really hard to regulate your diet or whatever. When you're on the road, you'll inevitably just end up eating at gas stations because that's what's available. And so I do a lot of that and because I mean, I'll ride for 50 miles and the only thing that's there is, is some kind of like Sinclair dinosaur gas station, <laughs> I think it's, yeah. which we don't have on the East coast. So I think it's hilarious that I ride up to a gas station. There's a plastic dinosaur inside of it. I'm like, all right, this is great. On those days I pack up with a lot of like kind bars um, if I ever find like a, a grocery store of any kind, it's like a Mecca of, Hey, can I get some vegetables or fruit? Um, I eat at Subway a lot again, because they're a reliable source of vegetables. I can put a bunch of veggies on my, you know, on my, uh, cold cut sandwich or whatever. And yeah, and I can have those. Um, if I find a banana, it's like striking gold. <laughs> um, yeah. So a lot of that. And then, I mean, when I get to, more populated areas. I, I eat out a lot. They're, I can't cook anywhere. I mean, there. So there are some people that do this, and they camp a lot, and they bring a camping stove, and so they like prepare meals. But I'm lazy. Yeah, um, I do. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a jerk! Um, I just I didn't want to carry all that stuff. Um, no, that makes sense. That's why I was curious because it's like yeah. food can be a lot of weight, and then yeah. you've got like garbage to deal with, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so mostly just stop at places, hoping that they have something remotely healthy and accepting often that they don't. Yeah. Yeah. My diet restrictions are essentially, uh, I think I told you this the other night, I, I owe my brother $1,000 if I drink soda at all, 
Um, and that's just a personal thing that I've been doing for almost a year now because I'm addicted to soda in a bad way. Like I get the shakes and the thralls and all that stuff. It took me a while to break that habit. Uh, but I also owe him a thousand dollars if I eat pizza or chips or like Doritos by myself. I can have those things socially because I knew I was going to be going to game nights and I was going to be offered this stuff. And I'm like, well, yeah. I'm going to eat it because it's there. But yeah, so I don't like the various little Caesars and Domino's that I see along the way. I don't stop there. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Because I, mean, I really don't want to eat that stuff anyway. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like you're going to just find, you're not going to ride. 50 miles and then the only place is a pizza hut you know like right you're gonna hit a gas station there'll be something, something else i've eaten a lot more burgers on this trip uh partially uh, because yeah. they're just readily available in america but yeah. also i don't know like i'm not usually a red meat guy but something about this trip has awoken the carnivore in me or something i just need i need it <laughs> yeah i could see that yeah i just love burgers in general that's, that's like true. one of my favorites we're going to go to Thai after this. I'm excited. Yeah. Taking yeah. you to my favorite Thai place. Let's do Let's go. I mean, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Soon. We'll continue this interview in, we'll just bring in it an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. So I, I did a podcast with uh, Mary Cousin, who is a phenomenal woman who lives in Chicago and is essentially the like social nexus of the Ford and toy universe. Huh. I didn't know this. She's phenomenal. What's it called? Um, well, her, so her name is Mary Cousin. Yeah. And uh, she runs the Chicago Toy and Game Fair. And she runs a like a collective of people called People of Play, which is kind of just like treating game designers as if they are the authors and filmmakers and artists that we should recognize them as. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I was doing like a podcast with her for the board game workshop, which will hopefully come out soon. Uh, and in the middle of that, she had ordered uh, one of the famous Chicago deep dish pizzas for us to have together. And so we did actually interrupt the podcast to have pizza. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It was fun. So, so you're doing that for the board game workshop. Yeah. Chris um, Anderson, who runs that, does like a little thing where you can be a guest contributor. Yeah. Um, and I had sort of like thrown around some ideas about maybe doing podcasty type things as I did the bike trip, but I didn't really have a cohesive plan around that. So he, he was just like, Hey, if you want to record a couple episodes and send them to me, I'll put them up. And that's what ended up happening. Oh, cool. Have they come out yet? Uh, one has. So I got a chance to interview Jennifer Bartlett, who is a librarian. She's a head of reference at the uh, Manchester public library. And she runs this amazing program. Her library has over 500 board games that are actually in circulation. You can go and check out a board game and bring it home. Um, and she does a lot of things with the board game community there. And uh, she'll have like local designers come in and showcase their work and uh, prototyping stuff. That's so cool. That's, yeah. The, she's on Twitter, right? Like, she's, I think her handle is Board Game Librarian. That's what it is. And she, yeah. I think she's affiliated with the Dice Tower. I think she does some stuff for that. Um, her and her husband also do some kind of like book review thing. No, I, I forget exactly, but she has a YouTube channel. Okay. She has a ton of cool stuff. Just yeah. a, a great, wonderful person. She's somebody I was going to reach out to to have on the show. Oh yeah, you totally should. She's great. Now, no, no, just go listen on the board game workshop. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, that is <clears throat> the next place I knew you from. Was just a li- you were on an episode of. Have you been on more than that? Yeah, anyway, what, the board, game, the board workshop. game workshop. Yeah. Oh, where we talked about meaning and games. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of my big things. Um, I think games are art and we should talk about them like art. 
not to ruin anyone's experience with games, but just because some of us like to, to delve deeper into what does that game mean in much the way that you might do in like a high school English class. Yeah. You know, what's, what are the deeper meanings behind To Kill a Mockingbird or Beloved or any of those great books? And so I think it's fun to do that with games. Well, they are. They're works of art. Absolutely. I thought it was really cool. Like, I thought you brought up some good points on there. And Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I That was like the first board game podcast I listened to. So like when I would go out working, I would just listen to that backlog. of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Chris is great. There's like 100 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great podcast. If, if yeah, you totally check that out. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> And Dustin, who's like the co-host from time to time. <laughs> I think he's supposed to be like a co-host, but he just come, comes and goes yeah. as he can. He's, he's really, really busy, but he's the one that kind of pushed me into podcasting too. Cool. So little tie in there. Yeah, yeah. One day I'll have Chris on, maybe. Oh, I'm sure he'd be down. Yeah. yeah. He's a cool guy, right? Oh, absolutely. So how many average miles do you go a day? I know that kind of changed at one point. It did, yeah. So at first, I had the whole trip planned out that it would be roughly 50 miles a day. Not every day, though. I built in about 20 rest days. And then once the trip changed, I was still... I I sort of publicly said, I'm not going to try to get the packs on time. But in my heart, I was trying to get the packs on time. (laughs) And so I had some really grueling days. I did 131-mile day and then 135-mile day. Those actually weren't the hardest. The hardest day was like a 95-mile day, except it was in rolling hills in Nebraska in about 100-degree weather. Oh, So that day, around 5 o'clock in the evening, when it was at its hottest, I actually was getting dizzy and pulled over and like sat in a shaded ditch for like 45 minutes. <laughs> and I was really grateful that there was a farm nearby that would let me fill up my water bottles so I could actually get to where I was going because I was not feeling good that day. That is wild. It's, that was a little scary. There, you know, there have been a few times on the trip where I'm like, do I need to call for help? That was probably the worst one outside of being on top of the mountain and like frantically waving for help, but like where I was actually contemplating pulling my phone out, actually calling for help. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely the worst of those situations. So when I left Fargo and finally made the decision to head to Denver from Fargo, I think I averaged about 80 miles a day. And the, the very last day was was really hard because that was the 135 miles. It took me about 18 hours because I got three flat tires. And I got my last flat tire after midnight. I was like six miles away from where I was staying in Denver. And I got a flat tire after midnight and I just threw my hands in the air and I called an Uber. I'm like, yep, I'm done. Oh, <laughs> I can't yes. do this. <laughs> I was so broken at that point and I was starving. I think my last meal had been six hours before that. And like when you... Like six hours in real time is fine, but six hours after continuing to bike is just brutal. Oh man, that is wild. It was fun. (laughs) I guess not being a bicyclist, if you get a flat tire, do you just patch it normally or do you have to like, do you have spare tire stuff on you? I don't know how that works. Yeah. So, so part of the reason I was at the end of the rope is I had already patched the, the tire that popped and I was just like sort of, I wasn't out of stuff. I could have patched it if I wanted to, but I was just kind of broken. Uh, for most of the trip, I carried one extra inner tube with me. And so if something happened, I replaced the tube and then just got to where I was going and bought another tube. Once I made the detour and, and really, you know, on the, on the western side of the Mississippi, there's just a lot more space between services and towns and places that even have inner tubes. You know, most 
a lot of towns don't just have like a bike shop, at least not where I was in South Dakota and Nebraska and going into Colorado. The great thing about the trip on, on the eastern, eastern side of the Mississippi is a lot of it was on established bike trails that, um, especially the Midwest, the upper Midwest is, is just littered with old railroad lines that they repurposed into bicycle recreational trails. And so there are tons of bike shops along those trails because people use them all the time. So whenever I got into trouble, the next town, even if it was only a town of 400 people or so, had a bike shop. So that wasn't really an issue. But once I got into you know, the Nebraska area and the, the goat head thorns, if you don't know what those are, they're like nature's cow troughs. <laughs> uh, they punctured, they just, they just continued to puncture my tires. Um, so on, on the Denver day, I, I had three flats. So one of them, I replaced the inner tube. And then the next flat I got, I patched that same tube. And then by the time I got to the third flat, and it was after midnight, I was just done patching or replacing anything. Yeah. But yeah, I've gotten pretty good at it. It takes me about a half hour, I guess, to change the tire. Um, it can be, it can be tough just to, because to get the tire on and off the actual wheel, you need like the special tools, like, like levers to get it off. Yeah. Uh, it can be sense. tricky. Yeah. I could see why you would call it six miles away. It's just like, so exhausted. not worth the half hour. Just, I mean, I've been riding since about six in the morning and it was midnight. Oh, I was like, yep, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. That is so crazy. And along your trip, you've been doing your, a blog post uh, a little bit every so often. Yeah. I think some really, really good stuff about playtesting. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I started doing that um, when I started to slow down a bit on the trip. I feel like you could write a playtest Bible. Because <laughs> <laughs> like some of that advice in there is stuff I've never heard. Like what? There yeah. was... Yeah. Hmm. Tell me what I did well. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. There was one part that was just like, stop apologizing for playtesting your game. Oh, yeah. It's like, if somebody's playtesting your game, they're here to playtest it. Like, they know what they're getting into. Definitely. You know, wherever it is on that stage, you don't need to apologize for it. Like, you're in the creative process. Yeah. So that, I mean, that, I think, goes to a lot of my philosophy around just creativity in general. And about what we all do together, we're all here to support each other. I'm here, I'm playtesting your game because I want to do that. And I think it's fun, and I'm excited for your game, and I want you to have my feedback. Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of it. What you do with that feedback is totally up to you. I have no ex- expectations around, you know, are you going to listen to my feedback? Do you, do you care what I have to say? Um, that's up to you, because you're the creator in that situation. And you're just sort of asking for other people's thoughts about how they experience that. Um, and I don't think any of us should apologize for that or feel bad about that. And I know that we do. I mean, I do. I'm nervous sometimes, especially if I don't know people. Breaking out a game, I'm like, and I hope this doesn't suck. Yeah. Um, but I would like us all to get over that. I would like us all to recognize that we are in a supportive community that wants us to learn from the experience. I mean, everyone's going to bring a bad game. Yeah. <laughs> Even the best designers. We don't see... You know, we see the end product. We don't see all the little mess ups in between or what it looked like, you know, 12 iterations ago, because those were learning experiences. It's very much like how you approach teaching. You want kids to make mistakes so that they can learn from them. And and that's really hard with with teenagers because they don't want to make any mistakes. Showing weakness is awful. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You're already so insecure. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole, I a lot of times relate game design to just the writing process 
And a big part of the writing process is just getting a draft done. And you shouldn't apologize for the draft. The draft has a very specific purpose to get your thoughts out onto a piece of paper. So that prototype you have is your thoughts out on a piece of paper. You can do the editing and revising later. Yeah. You, you know, once you have it all on the paper and you show it to someone, you get their feedback and then you go back and you make a new iteration. But there's no reason to apologize for any part of that. Yeah. That's just how creativity works. There was another thing on there that I absolutely loved. And, and it was fun to read because I read it uh, after we play tested. Okay. Because I didn't know about it, but Rob brought it up and I was like, what? And like, I went and on the web, on your website and I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I like read all of them. <laughs> and so it was just really cool. But you did the, you write your feedback down yes. during the play test. And I thought that was really cool. And I didn't necessarily understand at the time we were doing it. Okay. But reading why, I was like, oh, now I feel like that's really good. I'll let you say why. Yeah, so you're probably talking about, at some point during the playtest, Rob, I think, apologized for giving feedback during the playtest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like, it's not like he sat down and stopped the game for 10 minutes so he could pontificate for a while. Like, that's definitely not what happened. It, no, was, just, no. it was a quick thought and we moved on, which is totally fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so one of the things I do during playtesting is I write down my thoughts when I'm playtesting someone else's game. I'm writing down my thoughts as I have them. And I'm saving all that for the very end of the playtest because I don't want to interrupt the playtest because I think a big part of playtesting is experiencing the game. And as soon as someone starts giving feedback, we're no longer experiencing the game. We are experiencing feedback. And it can be very difficult to kind of go and sift through, well, did my feelings of frustration come from like the game being too long because the game was actually too long? Or did we just spend too much time talking about it? And so that's like a big reason of why I ask people to hold their feedback to the end of the playtest. And then for me, from like a designer's perspective, when I'm playtesting someone else's game, that's a chance to get better as a designer. And so something that I've learned, at least about myself, is to be as in touch with my feelings about the game as possible throughout the course of the entire playtest. Because at the beginning of a game, I might be super excited about something. And I'm going to write down, I'm very excited to try this. And then as we play the game, we'll see. Did that part work? Was at any point in the game, like doing that action, an attractive idea? Like, was it the right thing to do? And then a lot of other times I'll be sitting down to a game and I'll be like, I don't think this is going to work. And I'll write that down. My first impression of this is I don't think this is going to go anywhere. And then it ends up being my favorite part of the game. And so... Instead of interrupting the playtest to be like, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. Just let it play out and see how your feelings evolve and change. Um, it can also be, I think, useful. I like to hear the kind of feedback of when you were explaining this game, I didn't think this part was going to be good, but then it was awesome. Because that tells me as a designer, am I pitching this wrong? Am I not focusing on the right part? Am I explaining this correctly or not? And then maybe I can change that for the next time. And then maybe I'll stop getting that kind of feedback. Maybe the part of the game I want to shine will shine from beginning to end and it'll hook people in. So that's a big part of why I take notes. That's really interesting. Yes. I, yeah. I, I love the whole thing. And it almost has, like, depending on the stages, like with my mm -hmm. game, we did little teeny things where it was like, oh, you know what? That system's broken already. I can see that. Like, oh yeah, this, is, this isn't going to work. Or, okay, we're going to need to change that. And, some of them we changed and then implemented it for the whole thing. And some I was just like, we're just going to leave it broken and we'll, we'll figure it out later. Yeah, yeah. But those were like 
10 second thing comments. Well, and I mean, that was you as the designer making those things. So yes. something else that's important to me um, is that designers should feel empowered to change things on the fly in their playset. Yeah. I mean, that was in there too. Yeah. <laughs> they, there's no reason that you should be locked in. I mean, you have like, let's say you go to a group and you have a, you know, a 60 minute block. Well, if you're, if you know something's gone wrong in the first 10 minutes, you're the designer. Just change it. We can restart. And then you have 50 minutes to do something else. Yeah. There's no nothing wrong with trying a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. Again, that's the creative process. We try something, we see if it works, and if it doesn't, we change it. Yeah. That was my second in-person playtest, by the way. Ever. Ever? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I've done... Been doing a lot of TTS? I've only done two playtests on TTS of the same game. And then my other in-person was a different game. That was like, I was very, uh, that one was like a, I apologize the whole time, Uh, unfortunately, uh, (laughs) because I was just like, this feels more like an activity. It doesn't feel like a game. And then when we played it, it was like, this is way better than I expected. Hey, that's cool. It was nice. Yeah. But I had a lot of things to work out anyways. Uh, yeah. So I love all of those things. There's, there's way more on there. There's not even that many posts, but there's like a lot of good content in it. And I feel like you could keep going on some of them. So I think the one you're talking about, yeah. So the one you're talking about is like my like top 10 or whatever favorite playtesting guidelines. Um, But you dive into them and other ones, posts too, I think. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm doing now. Um, As, as the weeks go on, I'll like sort of expand upon my rationale as to why I think those things are great. And something else I'm doing that I sort of just started doing in when I cross the Colorado border, I kind of had this idea. I'm stopping at like what I think are cool places. So like a state border is a cool place to me, as long as it has a cool sign that says welcome to whatever the state is. And then like I, I went up to the Salt Lake yesterday and I recorded a video. So I'm recording videos kind of about these playtesting facts. So I'm going to, you know, ah. it'll be fun to be like, Hey, you know, I'm talking about this random thing at Salt Lake and it's nothing really to do with Salt Lake. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's about, design stuff and they'll they'll be like quick little videos that that's really cool I, I, I love that i think it's fun it's a yeah. cool way to tie the biking and the design together which i think i was having a hard time mentally like like how do i make content because i know like people that ride across the country and make content about bike riding they have a very specific kind of video where it's like really about the nature and, and about the journey yeah and like that's cool but that's not who i am as like 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 some i, I definitely record and take pictures of of the journey, uh, but that's not like what I'm passionate about making is like travel videos or whatever. That's not yeah, like, like uh, you're not gonna the crowd that would attract isn't necessarily the crowd. Yeah, you want. Yeah, kind I mean, of. I mean, you want. I, like them, I like but, those people. I think yeah. they're great. Um, <laughs> but I'm more into the, the game design stuff. So yeah. to meld those two things, when I find a cool spot, I'm like, hey, I should make a video here about like you know playtesting stuff. So yeah, that's what I've been doing. Very cool. Oh, that's exciting. I'm excited to see it. So no Bible necessarily, but a video series. Yeah. Assuming my video doesn't get corrupted. (laughs) (laughs) I've been spending a lot of time backing up my video. Oh, good. The last few weeks. Yeah. That's huge. Mm. Or like, I mean, you're biking, so something could happen to your... I am constantly paranoid about my little case of SD cards getting stolen or just lost. Oh, that would be horrifying. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Big time. <laughs> what do you do outside of board games and biking? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great question. Um, where do I start? I think talk about music. Yeah, so, we've yeah, talked a little bit a little about bit. that outside of this. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, it's weird to know somebody a little more. Isn't it weird? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Usually, just do these really cold, and you're like, I kind of know you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see. I, I mean, I love music. I've loved music for a long time. Um, I was in a band with my two brothers, like two brothers and two sisters, and uh, my two brothers are well, all my siblings are younger than me, but. My brothers and I formed a band. Can I say the name of the band on this podcast? It's like sweary, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Edit. Uh, if you don't want to hear it, skip forward 15 seconds from right now. Or, I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, skip forward. Yeah, you'll be all right. Yeah, you'll be all right. Uh, anyway, the band was called The Bitchin' Aardvarks, which, I mean, it's not very offensive, but some people. Yeah, uh, it was offensive enough that we had to change the name to just the Aardvarks a few times when we played at like school functions or something. Oh, okay, nice. We're <laughs> yeah. like, I think we did a couple like town shows in our, our small conservative town, so we had to do that. Oh, I actually don't know the answer to this question. Was it? Did you play covers or did you guys write your own music? Oh, we totally wrote our own music. Nice. Uh, I, we, I think we occasionally played a few covers, like we covered. Don't stop believing. Oh. Covered. I mean, not even the whole song. It was just like an intro to something else. Oh, okay. Uh, we covered like uh, a couple of Blink One Eighty Two songs. Uh, it was a punk band, in case you haven't got that. Um, <laughs> we really wanted to be a ska band, but we didn't have any horns. <laughs> um, our big local hit was called Scarlet Fever, and my brother wrote it, and it was all about how we love ska music. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> It's great. I love playing music. We so the way we approach that, I think, is sort of another like way I philosophically ap- approach creativity. We didn't have any set roles. It was like whoever wrote the song would play guitar and sing for it, and then everyone else had to rotate around that person. Ah. So I played guitar, bass, and drums. Uh, I was definitely the worst of the drummers in the group. <laughs> I played drums for exactly one song. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so mostly I did guitar and bass. Music was fun. We we did it for like four years. Uh, we did a Kickstarter for an album, which was great. Oh, really fun. Did it fund? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so we have we have one album out in the universe. It's called Lottery Winner. Uh, it's got like 20 songs on it because that's how we roll. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it was just, it was a really good time. We mostly played in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. So like Providence and Boston. And we did a little upstate New York stuff that's like as far as we went uh we're on commercial radio out there um there was mm-hmm. a brown brown university runs a commercial radio station uh it has since like gone off the air it's still on the internet i guess but you know radio is essentially dead now <laughs> uh but they had like a like a rock hunt thing and so for two years in a row we were voted in by the fans to participate in this thing and it was Whoa. it was really fun yeah so that's my my brief touch with fame any variety that's really awesome it was it was a ton of fun and what was really cool was getting to bond with my brothers in a very different way and sort of seeing their personalities come out uh because at the time we made the band i was in my late 20s and my youngest brother was still was he still 16 he was like 16 or 17 and so for a while we were like playing at bars where he like technically couldn't get in <laughs> so that was fun <laughs> um and then like my middle brother was three or four years older than so in that age range yeah Uh, so like getting to see them sort of become adults through this process and like express themselves because we all because we all wrote songs we had like a different approach to writing songs that's cool yeah so it was was really great 
I come from sort of the punk background of I, I like that punk can be humorous and I also like that punk can be political. Uh, so while I don't really engage anymore so much with political discourse on social media, because I think that's a terrible place to have discussions about politics, I absolutely did so in my songs. Oh, nice. That was where, so songs to me are just a wonderful way to capture the emotional content of, of how I feel about the world. And so that's what I did. Uh, so one of my favorite songs that I wrote was called Start a Riot. Um, and it was, so I don't, I don't know how much you remember the 2012 election cycle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, but during 2012, we had all these great sound bites coming out of the Republican Party. Uh, one that I remember very distinctly was from Rush Limbaugh, where he was talking about... Um, tying contraception to healthcare and how this offended him greatly, apparently. Um, and he called some woman a slut because she wanted to be paid to have sex. It was like, like his take on this. Um, do you remember this quote? No. So this, this quote is, it starts the song off because I was so angry about it. Wow. <laughs> and, um, and then immediately following that quote was another quote by, I can't even remember his name, some senator or, or representative from somewhere in like, I want to say Nebraska or Missouri or something, where he said that if a woman gets raped, her body shuts down pregnancy. Those are not the exact words. But oh, I remember just, that. Oh, yeah. yeah, I so remember complete, that complete. <laughs> um, And so the whole song, Start a Riot, was about how angry I wanted to see people get about this. I was like, why are we not burning things to the ground because of these statements? And so, yeah, and so I wrote a song about that, and here we are nine years later, and Texas is in the 1950s. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And it's like, Hey, let's burn some shit down guys. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And so like, I love music because it can, it can capture that rage. And the, and I think the song does it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. So that was my approach. Like, so like the songs that I wrote on the album were either funny or they were political in nature. Okay. Yeah. That was my shtick. So when I listen to it, I'll hear it. I'll hear I, it I think you'll, I mean, you'll know that I'll one know. for sure. Cause it starts yeah. off with a Russian limbo and, and it's, it's pretty obvious. Is it an and actual it's a very angry stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. We look, I guess the legality is something like you can use like six seconds of someone else's sound without having to oh. do anything. Thanks. Yeah. So we kept those other six seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think actually with, with that clip, cause it was like a, a public news thing. I think we could have used as much as we wanted. Oh, that's true. Huh? Yeah. 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 Public bigger stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if you listen to my music and figure out which songs I wrote, you'll see like economic rage and yeah, like social just social injustice rage. You'll see a lot of that kind of stuff. Nice. <laughs> and you'll also see uh, sophomore songs about. Uh, let's see. The first song I ever wrote was called "She Ain't Got No Teeth, But I Don't Care," which sounds really bad, but it's actually so it's supposed to make you initially think, "Oh, this is going to be like super gross." Uh, but it's actually about an old couple who are, have grown Aww. old together and they still love each other and they don't care that they're senile or falling down or falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I love it. I was mini clapping. That's why you mini said clapping. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's really, really cool. What else? What else? Outside of music? Outside of music. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, do, do you get to play anything anymore? Uh, oh, yeah. So the band, uh, we don't really play anymore because, I mean, we all kind of grew up and got jobs and got busy with life. And, uh, you know, one of my brothers lives in California, so it's really hard for us to get together from the East Coast to the West Coast. I still definitely write songs like privately. You know, I have a guitar. It's tough for me to play 
because I had like some arthritis in my hand. I told you about that a yeah. bit earlier. Um, and so I never know if I play a guitar this week, am I going to be in pain for the next three weeks, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Well, you it's still play on still occasion. Fun. I still play on occasion. I still write music. It would be nice to, you know, one day revisit that because it's a ton of fun. If you've never played on stage, I just recommend it. It's so much fun. I used to throw up before we went on stage every single time. Like, I never, ever got used to it. But when I was up there, like, i interact with the crowd. I'd get all excited and jump around and, like, yeah. play. And and you wouldn't think I was nervous, but, like, <laughs> beforehand, I would, yep, without a doubt, every oh, single I, time. I absolutely feel you. I, I, I don't think I ever threw up, but I was nervous every time. Ugh. And it, But as soon as I started playing, I was like, all right, it's party. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Good times. It's like you're in your element. You know what you're doing. And yeah. you just have fun with it. Yeah, definitely. Let's see. Other fun stuff I do. Um I <laughs> during the pandemic I got into so I decided I was gonna learn some new skills during the pandemic. And as we all did. As we did all you stick did. to it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, well a few of them. Yeah. So I I wanted to learn video editing. And so now I'm sort of using that on the bike trip. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I did and will eventually revisit in some capacity, if only because my family demands I do this is, uh, so my dad and brother, uh, who lives in Rhode Island are into golf. And so I, I'm into golf sort of, but not as much as them. But it's so like for me to find a way to have fun doing that, I had to do something goofy. So what I did was I only played with yellow golf balls and I drew faces on them. Uh, and I called every single golf ball Larry. And so I started making a video series about these bad Larrys. <laughs> and they were just, it was just a, a fun way for me to have fun with my dad and my brother and go out and play golf and also uh, catalog the lives of, of the Larrys because I would give them all personalities. So like Larry four was a womanizer. <laughs> I caught him in my bed one day with a bunch of pink golf balls. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, uh, there was an evil Eric at some point, uh, who tried to capture me and duct taped my mouth shut and a bunch of weird things. Um, so that's one of the things I'm into is, is I guess comedy in some way. I don't know what it was. It, it turned into, uh, really honestly what it was, it was me dealing with all the mental health problems of the pandemic. I needed something to do. And, uh, yeah, the very last episode of the series has some heartfelt moments where I say goodbye to the last Larry. Oh my and, and thank all the Larrys for sort of getting me through 2020 by, by giving me like a hobby and, and something to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I do that. I had a lot of fun doing that. I, I haven't done this in a while, but it's another thing I want to revisit. It was my way of learning how to make a website using Squarespace. Hmm. Uh, I have a different blog that has nothing to do with game design or riding my bike. And it is called There Is No Good Boy. And this comes up. Did I tell you about this? Yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will definitely talk about it more. I yeah. <laughs> um, I think so. Rob brought it up. Were you? No, I think you brought it up. Anyway. Someone said it. Maybe Tessa brought up that I had a dog. Blog. Oh, that's what it yeah. was. Yeah. So anyway, I have this, this blog called There Is No Good Boy. And it is it came about because my sister, we have a sibling group chat. Uh, and my sister sent a picture of her golden retriever with just the most confused look on his face. Like, and, and we all sort of, as, as siblings, went through and captioned the photo in some way. So some of us were like, oh, no, I left the oven on. Or like, oh, I think those puppies are mine. Or like, 
from Home, Home Alone, Kevin. Um, <laughs> and my my contribution to this was, what if there is no good boy? Because it looked like he just had the most life changing realization of his life. And so from this, I decided that dogs have a secret religion about the good boy, who is essentially like dog Jesus. <laughs> um, but like all, all the biblical figures wrapped up into one. And so the blog is, it's like a mix of, from the point of view of dogs questioning dog Jesus, <laughs> like whether or not it exists and being like, do humans, did humans make up the good boy as a way to control us and stop us from peeing on the carpet? <laughs> Uh, to just like a bunch of parodies of biblical stories starring the good boy. So uh, one of my favorite ones, I have so many favorite ones. (laughs) So one of the ones I wrote about is um, about the tower of Babel. And so I, it was the, the tower of breeds in my version of this. And so what happened was there was, you know, the first human village that had all the dogs there and the good boy was off doing something else. And so couldn't intervene when a bunch of squirrels invaded and the squirrels, of course, antagonized the dogs, They pull their tails and they would steal from the trash. And one day the dogs just had enough of this uh, and they chased the squirrels and all the, tr- all the squirrels went up this giant tree in the center of the town. Uh, and when the squirrels realized that dogs could not climb trees. They began to mock them. And so the dogs, again, without the good boy there to guide them properly, uh, decided they were going to gather all of their feeding bowls together and make a giant tower so that they could climb up the tree and get to the squirrels. The dogs started to do this. And just as the dogs got close enough to the top where they could get the squirrels, the squirrels launched their surprise attack of a bunch of acorns at the dogs. And so uh, the dogs freaked out, and unfortunately, this unsettled the whole tower, and the bowls started going everywhere, and it fell, and it crashed, and destroyed a bunch of human houses. And so, finally, the humans were fed up. They, re- they were like, dogs can't all live in the same place, and a bunch of them picked up and moved to far away places in the world. Uh, and so some of these dogs that moved to different places started to have different hair color and different sizes, and that's how we got different dog breeds. <laughs> uh, so, genius. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, um, there is no good boy. <laughs> uh, so I enjoy creative writing. I guess that's sort of like a more broad view of hobbies, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was so that's, totally that's one of the goofy things that I, that I do. <laughs> I was going to say that, like you talked about writing, you've talked about writing throughout this, it's true. I think in, in different degrees. Mm-hmm. So writing seems like something you love. Yeah. Uh, once upon a time I ran away from everything and wrote a novel and never got it published. <laughs> do you still have it? I do. It's not good. I think everyone's first novel <laughs> is bad. Um, let's see. I was dealing with a bad breakup. Not bad. I was dealing with a serious breakup. It, it was probably my first really serious relationship where I was like deeply in love and it lasted like a couple of years. It was like my last college relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote a book in the form of like IMs and emails and um, like a shared notebook that this couple passed back and forth between them. Uh, so, it, so yeah, it's a book about a relationship and the way the relationship is told is through how they communicated with each other. Oh, cool. Which it was a cool gimmick. Yeah, absolutely. And I got to the point where I was pitching to some agents uh, and a few of them read it and didn't go anywhere from there because it wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> The idea is very novel. The idea was cool. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was like emotionally good for me to get it all out and, and do that. But yeah. So like, yeah, 
I enjoy creative writing. Um, I have a hard time concentrating on it. It's really tough uh, to sit down for X amount of time and just write. Yeah. You know, I'm always struggling with that inner editor. It's, it's hard to turn that person off and be like, no, it's fine. Just get the draft out. We kind of talked about that. Well, that's important to me. Yeah. And it's important to me because I struggle with it. Yeah. So I definitely, um, I've submitted some like short stories to uh, one of my favorite literary publications is called The First Line. And, and it's, it's kind of like what it sounds like. Their writing prompt is the first line of the story that you have to write and you submit those stories. So um, it could be, I think the first, first line I remember is something like, you know, Calvin, Calvin was surprised when he walked in the room to find blank. And so you fill in the blank and then you write a short story with that. Sentence. Interesting. And then uh, the publication probably, I think they published like eight or nine of the stories in their little magazine. And they all start with that same thing. And it's really interesting to see where different people went with that. Um, so I submitted to that. And then when I was a teacher, I encouraged students to submit to that. Like we ran, I ran like a creative writing club and I had some students submit to this publication and they got really good feedback, which was nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that was fun. So yeah, passionate about, passionate about writing and just creativity in general. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, creating music, creating writing, creating videos, creating board games. Board games. Yeah. Yeah. It all ties together. Absolutely. I got that same. I, I feel you on so many of these things. Like I create music. I create, I used to write every once in a while. I still try and dabble in it, but no, no, I've never gotten as far as you have. (laughs) Well, I wish I could say I got further. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's cool. Do you play video games? uh, You know, not as much as I used to. As a kid growing up, I played a ton of video games. They were my thing. Absolutely. I still, I still sometimes cry listening to the Final Fantasy VI soundtrack because it's just so good. Nice. Um, yeah, love that. I played a ton of Counter-Strike, like decades worth oh. of Counter-Strike at this point because it was in beta my freshman year in college and that the whole game just blew my mind. Counter-Strike was amazing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Modern stuff, I play... Uh, Rob and I actually played Rocket League the other day because Rocket League is one of my favorite games of all time. Oh, nice. Phenomenal. I love that game. Uh, I don't play it very often, but I love it. I sort of had it on like my list of things to do during the pandemic was to sort of knock off some RPGs that I hadn't played or gotten to. Like I bought Pillars of Pillars. I bought Pillars of Eternity like four years ago and hadn't played it. So I played that during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I think my problem with RPGs, my whole, I want to like them, but I think they're flawed is that, especially in a game like Pillars of Eternity, the main quest just feels like it's so pressing. Like, if I'm acting as my character in the game would act, I should only be doing the main quest because it is clearly the most important thing. And so when they throw the side quest at you of like, hey, go rescue someone's dog, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) My life is literally hanging in the balance right now. And then I get to the end of the game and I find out I don't have enough levels because I haven't done enough side quests and I get rolled and I'm like, okay, well, this is frustrating. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I yeah. totally get that. So I think that's why I tend not to play video games as much anymore. And it's why I gravitate towards games like Rocket League, Counter-Strike. Because um, they're like those quick little rounds. You just, you just play for a while. Yeah. And like the story isn't. Yeah, I totally get that. I like, I recently played both of the Spider-Man games on the PlayStation. And I like how they handled the side quests. Like, I'm a side quest junkie. I, I do okay. them all. I and I shouldn't, I should just stick to the story sometimes because there's so many games I've never finished the main game. The Spider-Man one, they're like, you'll do a certain amount of 
story and then it'll be like i'm waiting on somebody like let's patrol the city like i need to patrol the city while while i wait and so then you go and do the side quests so like it designates a time to go like power up level mm-hmm. up that way yeah. cool so i kind of liked that yeah. you know, like it makes it still fit in narratively where you're not like oh yeah doc ock's gonna crush the city or whatever i don't no spoilers there. I'm just right, right. throwing out a villain there. But yeah, like, well, yeah, I could do that, but I could go catch pigeons too. So I'm going to go do that. And then he'll wait. He'll wait. Right. Yeah. I get that. Oh, there was another one that sort of, that's, I mean, you know your hobbies. If there's another one. Oh, uh, let's see. Other stuff I do. I love tennis. So I coached, I think I mentioned this when I was talking about teaching, but I coached. Uh, track and tennis because I love both of those things. I did not do those things in high school. I developed my love for these things as an adult. I mean, I played tennis in high school, but not on a team. Oh, okay. It was just like a, something I did with my friends. And yeah. actually, when I was in high school, I thought running was pointless. Uh, it wasn't until I was like early 20s where I was like, you know, running's a nice stress relief. <laughs> so I, I got into that and then I did some obstacle course races. I like Spartan races. I haven't done one in a few years, but I do enjoy them. Wow. Yeah, those are fun. And I really like, so again, coming back to community and camaraderie, like if you do one of these Spartan races, if, if you don't do the competitive one, there's definitely like a time slot that's like we're competing against each other. But if you go at any other time, people are so helpful. I've had, I've had many people sort of just help me over an obstacle and then like I repay that favor to someone else. And it's, it's really fun and rewarding. That's cool. Yeah, it's a good community. And tennis is great. I, I got into tennis. I mean, I've always loved tennis, but I, I started coaching it because at the high school I was teaching at, basically we had enough track coaches and not enough tennis coaches. And the athletic director came to me and she was like, Phil, I know you play tennis. Can you coach tennis? Because if you don't, the girls are not going to have a season. I was like, well, that's so I guess I'm going to do that. <laughs> uh, well, when you put it like that. Yeah, when you put it like that, I guess I care. So I will do it. And what I ended up doing, it was great. It was actually really good for me because the first year I coached, I was like, man, I'm not good enough at this to really coach. Like the best player on the team, I think she was better than me, definitely. Um, So I went and started taking my own lessons, and that was actually really great for me. Um, I had a really good time uh, at um, Rally Point Test Club in Smithfield, Rhode Island. (laughs) If anyone is from there, uh, really good community, and uh, it was really nice to be coached. I miss being in the classroom. I miss like like learning. I miss being a student. So going and being taught how to play tennis with a group of people that were also struggling to learn how to play tennis was really rewarding. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a good time. Being a student's great. Everyone should be a student for life. Yeah. Lifetime learners. Exactly. <laughs> Never ever stop. No, definitely not. Well, let's we need to wrap it up sometime soon here. Brought to have some Thai food. I know. I'm excited. Let's play Ridiculous Theme, the game where we come up with a ridiculous theme for a board game. Man, I can do that. Right? Are you looking around the room? I am. I'm absolutely <laughs> looking around the room. Because I want to Ceiling fan yeah. computer. <laughs> Ceiling fan computer. Yeah. I have nothing for that. So I see a marker. I think it'd be really fun if we had a game where the primary component was markers that you smelled, because markers smell really good. Um, maybe there's a blindfold. You have to identify what color of marker is is what you're smelling. Yeah. You're like the sommelier of marker. Nice. <laughs> that's what you do. Okay, okay. I mean, that's, 
that's pretty ridiculous. But is it ridiculous enough? I mean, that's the question. To take away the sniffing markers part, you could just try and describe the marker or describe a color. Oh, I mean, games do that. But describe a color without using any words that say the color, obviously, or something that is that color. So, like... So that actually sounds really coherent to me because one of the creative writing exercises we would do would be write a paragraph without using a color, but make sure you communicate that color to someone. Oh. Yeah. So, so that actually sounds really fun to me. Yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting. It's yeah. like a good exercise. I bet but, there's a lot of things diving into create. Oh my goodness. This is relevant for you. Why don't we do the bad Larry? Oh, these bad Larry's? The yeah. Board these game? bad Larry's board game. <laughs> I mean, how many board games are out there that are about golf? There's probably a few, but how many? How many are out there that are about the golf balls in their personal lives? Yeah, (laughs) that's the real question. (laughs) Yeah. To tie it into my trip, I would. I mean, we have great games about dinosaurs and dinosaurs with lasers, but do we have any games about dinosaurs with lasers on bicycles? And I don't think we do. No, I think that game would be super good. Yeah. Is it a racing game? Is it a game about extinction? Is it both? I think so. <laughs> it's like, it's the last laser dinosaur bicycle Grand Prix before the apocalypse. Um, that's the name of it, right? That, that's <laughs> the whole name. <laughs> yeah. So, have, you have, so you have the you have the dinosaurs that are actually racing, but then you also have the betters. You have dinosaurs in formal wear. These are the partiers. Ooh. Yeah, this game's great. I don't know what it's about, but I'm into it. <laughs> I am totally imagining, like, you pick your cyclist, you know, like you might have a rafter and they can go like quick. <laughs> or you have a T-Rex who can't change tires very well. <laughs> Poor T-Rex. such a bad rap. <laughs> Bronchiosauruses have a hard time going under pass on un- mm. under underpasses. That's yeah. a weird way to under, say under that. Under underpasses. Under under unders. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, I mean, we have a totally different game about going... All, all characters are named something under wood <laughs> and they are going underground into the underworld because they are undercover oh, and that's goodness. actually a pun that I didn't even do on purpose because they're undercover because they're underground but they're also spies yeah yeah this under, is under under the un- yeah so this is the under 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 underground or something like that <laughs> this game's good too <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> Look at this. Bam, bam, bam. Ridiculous yeah. theme. Left, right. So I hope what happens with these ridiculous themes is that, I mean, we're never going to pursue them. <laughs> but whoever out there is listening, at least one of you needs to make this game. Right? Yeah. That's my, that's like the dream is if I ever get big <laughs> enough, you know, like there's a, there's actual play podcasts where they play D&D, right? And, mm. and they get fan art all the time of their characters and the episodes. And, and I'm like, that's so cool. That's so cool. I hope my version of that is people making a ridiculous theme that we talk about. Sounds fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) You could have a game design contest around the ridiculous theme. Yeah. At the end of the year, pick one of the ridiculous themes Ah, and design a game around it. And we'll judge the best ones. And best is clearly determined by how ridiculous it is. (laughs) (laughs) While still being fun. Yeah. Well, maybe there's two prizes. Yes. Like best in show, and, yeah, and least in show. <laughs> <laughs> least in show is the most ridiculous. Yes, thing. So it's like that. That one's still a very fun one to have. Definitely. 
Oh my gosh. I, want that one. I love that name so much. I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a great idea. I'll probably I'll probably steal that. I won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds fun to me. I know. Maybe that'll be like my one year anniversary. When I get to my one year That's anniversary, we'll do it. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. How far away is that? It's I mean, April, I think I started March or April. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for I would say well, I, you're here in person. This is weird. How do I close out a show in person? I don't know. I mean we get time. Yeah, we go get Thai food. Bye. Three. No, but you got to plug your stuff. Ah, so, yes. So thank you things. for, I'll, yeah. I'll introduce that. All right. Okay. Thank you for coming on. It has been so much fun getting to know you over the past couple of days. It's it's weird. Like we we interacted outside of the podcast before recording. We had like our own little design retreat weekend or something. Yeah. It was cool. Exactly. Into it. So why don't you plug your social website, everything, your email address, whatever you want. I don't know. Yeah, yeah cool. Your social security number, whatever you got. Yeah, that's what's well, nine numbers. <laughs> you can figure out the rest of it. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Uh, BoardGameBike.com is the blog website. Uh, I am on YouTube as BoardGameBike. I'm on Twitter as BoardGameBike. The best way to get in touch with me is probably to send me an email. I'm Phil at BoardGameBike.com. Um, or on the website, there's like a contact form. If you are so inclined to care about my ridiculous dog blog, you can go to thereisnogoodboy.com. Uh, and if you want to know about Larry's, uh, that's on a different YouTube channel. It's like my personal thing to share with my family. But uh, it's out there. Search for These Bad Larry's. Bill Amalon. That's me. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, I mean, if anyone is listening who happens to live in like, Reno or Carson City or Sacramento or San Francisco. I think those are probably the next big major cities I'm going to be in on my bike trip. I'd love to get together and play some board games. Thank you so much for listening. It was a blast getting to know Phil while he was here. He's such a cool person. If you're in one of those areas that he mentioned, shoot him an email, see if he can't get together because he is someone you should get to know even more. I've got a couple of news things. Today, the day this airs, Protocon tickets go on sale. Protocon is a in-person event here in Utah. It'll be two days this time. The first day will be Friday, January 28th, 2022. And it will have a designer's workshop where... Jeff Beck, I think, who did Intrepid, he's going to be running a, a workshop. I can't remember exactly what it is, but I'll go find out and then I can tell you next time. Next week, I'll, I'll tell you. Maybe I'll have Jeff come on and talk about it. Who knows? And then the next day, January 29th, is the main event. It's an all-day thing. You come, you play games, designers. You come and you play designers' newest games, games they're working on. Last time I went in 2020, just before the pandemic, it was really, really cool to see just how big the community was. There were plenty of people there who were just there to playtest games. And when I say playtest, sometimes you think they're like, you know, not going to be great quality, but there were games that felt like they were ready. You felt like, well, can I just buy this now? And they're like, no, it's still a work in progress. Or, hey, there's going to be a Kickstarter for it. You know, Oros was there which was hugely successful and awesome. 
So whether you're a designer or just somebody who loves playing games, this is going to be a great friendly convention. And it's just down the street from me. So come to Utah, come hang out with me. It'll be great. It'll be such a good time. There's also a raffle. Last time I went, I won a copy of Tim Fowers' game Sabotage. And I went up and I chatted with him while he was playtesting Burgle Brothers 2. And that was really, really cool. He was so, so nice. Just, man, that guy is awesome. And then my wife won a copy of Red Raven Games, Ryan Lockett's game, Rome. I Actually, he had a co-designer on that one. Uh, and I am spacing on the name, but we want a copy of that. And that's just an go-to game for us. It's such an easy game to teach and fun to play. We love that one. So you can win games through a raffle. You get to play games. There'll be open gaming. There will be designers signed up at tables that have their game running. And it's just, it's just such an awesome event. Anyway, that's all the news. If you enjoyed the episode, if you're enjoying the podcast, Rate the podcast on iTunes. That would help the podcast get seen more and end up in people's like suggested podcasts. And that would help me grow. Or if there's people that you think would enjoy the show, spread it around. What better way to grow than word of mouth? You can follow me on Twitter at NerdOutWithUs. You can email me, theboardgamecommunityshow at gmail.com. If there's somebody that you think would be a good guest on the show or someone in the community that you're like, hmm, I wonder what they do outside of board games. Or, oh, I wonder what they have going on. I just love getting to know people. And I hope that comes across because I have an absolute blast with every single guest. And if it's you, great. We can set something up too. Easy. All right. That's it. Until next week, keep nerding out.